Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's a Monday edition of PFTOT. This is the show that we do after PFT Live goes off the air. There are other things that we'd like to get to that we didn't have time for, and some of the topics we discussed that maybe require a little more of the layer of the onion being peeled off for more foul odor to be uh, emanated so that, you know, you guys can say how crazy we are for the things we come up with. We've got a couple of those theories coming up, but I'm going to start with something we didn't get to, Chris. Sean Merriman. Former Chargers linebacker, still an ambassador on behalf of the team. He said over the weekend that he believes the Chargers are seriously interested in acquiring Cardinals quarterback Josh Rose. And again, very favorable contract, three years, $6.2 million. They have Phillip Rivers around for at least another year. This could be a transition type of a plan where you go from Rivers to Rosen and you've got the quarterback position taken care of. You bring him back to L.A. He played at UCLA. It's one of those things that the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more sense it makes. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It does. And usually organizations have more connections and inside info on schools that are in their area, whether they were in San Diego or L.A. when they were evaluating Josh Rosen coming out of UCLA. Either way, they're very close to UCLA. And I would think have some very good connections with the football program and all the people that might know, you know, the little details of how guys really are behind the scenes in the locker room when they're in their free time, whatever it may be. And uh, it does make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense from that standpoint and just from the pure football on the field standpoint too. Yeah, Phillip Rivers, I think we're coming into last year or two. You know, I really do. You watch the AFC Divisional Playoff game. I know it was a good year, but man, you know, Phillip Rivers' ability to push the ball down the field, make big throws, all of those things, it's it's lessening. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. He's an awesome player, but it, it is. It's, it's getting towards that end. And Josh Rosen, you know, another year on the bench or whatever it may be and then he gets to take over uh would make a lot of sense for the chargers well and that possibility of a josh rosen trade continues to loom i think the cardinals keeping it all very close to the vest the nfl would very much like them to do that because if they would trade him before the draft there goes the surprise that kyler murray will be the first overall pick if that's what the cardinals are plotting and obviously they're not going to trade josh rosen if they're not intending to draft kyler murray it will be five years since Johnny Manziel was a first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns. He has had a very unusual path throughout his pro football career. Two years with the NFL, out of football altogether. He's played in the Spring League. He has played now for a brief period of time in the CFL and even briefer period of time in the Alliance of American Football. He said over the weekend on social media, for everyone asking me what the next move is and all the crazy assumptions out there, I'll be the one to set it straight. I have one single goal right now, and that is to get back to the NFL. Until that call comes and the opportunity presents itself, I will be working every single day to be prepared. Now, I don't know what crazy assumptions anyone's making. The XFL is out there, and if he's not deemed to be good enough to be in the NFL and he hasn't gotten an offer to join any NFL team, even on a 90-man roster in the last three years, the XFL would make sense. He'd have 
uh, name recognition. He could put butts in the seats. He could get people to watch games on TV. And I think it's just a matter of time before the XFL reaches out to him. And I don't think the NFL is ever going to again unless he would go to the XFL and just play lights out to the point where someone would have no choice but to give him an opportunity. But I think sitting around and waiting for the NFL to call, he's going to be continuing to wait that three years he's already waited, and then some. Yeah, right. It's three years out of the NFL life. That's not a good thing. I mean, that's not going to be looked at by NFL franchises going, well, we think he'll regain his form. And, you know, I would go, well, what form? You know, what, Texas A&M form? I don't know. There's no professional form to really speak of right now. I don't think he did enough in the Canadian League and certainly didn't do enough in the AAF that's going to make any team feel warm and cozy about, oh, let's bring Johnny Manziel in to be my backup. I mean, we're getting to the long enough period of time here with you know without substantial play at the quarterback position for a Johnny Menzel to where I go damn I mean he's gonna have a tough enough time just making it happen in the XFL and doing something along those lines to make a name for himself there let's like pump the brakes on the NFL conversation especially with the NFL again I mean Another year, and it's not going to stop. We're going to see a crop of quarterbacks come into the league every year. We're talking it's going to be four first-round quarterbacks this year. The question isn't is if it's going to be four. It's We know it's going to be four pretty much, and is, is it going to be five is really where it sounds like we're going right now as far as the conversation in the NFL draft. And that doesn't bode well for guys who are out of the league and haven't been around for a while and didn't necessarily put their best foot forward the last time they were in the league and not necessarily have had the best look off the field to begin with. So, yes, I think Johnny Menzel has got a long road ahead of him before he can think NFL. I really do think there's a fine line between the confidence that you need to have to be successful in football and delusion that some guys have once it's over. It's like I, I always say that, they, and I remember this with Terrell Owens and other players, it's like Bruce Willis at the end of the sixth sense. You're the last one to realize your career is dead. And that's just the way it goes for most players. And I, I can understand it. It's hard to – it's got to be. Chris, you Very, lived it. Yes. It's got to be hard to accept reality because oh. that's all you've known for so many years. It's crushing. It's crushing. I mean, my first year out of football, I spent a lot of Sundays crying. I mean, if we're going to be totally transparent, I did. I'd be watch, sitting there watching games and going, I can't believe I'm not there. I can't believe this guy's on a team and I'm not. You know, I mean, it's like losing a loved one. I mean, it really is. That's the only way I can explain it. For somebody like me who loved football, I put everything I could into it. Uh, I worked very hard about it, and I was passionate about it. And yeah, to have that just ripped out of your life, it's like losing a family member almost at first, and it's not easy to adjust to. And guys, for that reason, hang on as long as they can, even three years or more after the fact, trying to get back to the NFL. One of the reasons that Johnny Manziel is talking about anything at this point is because the AAF went under a couple of weeks ago. And Daryl Moose Johnston, who was the general manager of the San Antonio Commanders of the AAF, he had some comments recently on ESPN Radio San Antonio acknowledging that people were misled about the long-term viability of the league. He said there were several people who took jobs with the Alliance because they were told they had two years and they're in a very difficult spot now at this stage. This was something that caught me totally by surprise. He also added there are multiple businesses in the San Antonio area that are still awaiting payment and will probably have to go into the legal process to get that resolved. That is extremely disappointing to me. Look, we're going to hear these stories, Chris, over and over and over again because it's now abundantly clear that the AAF 
created the impression that it had enough funding to get through at least one season, if not two or more seasons, and they clearly didn't have the money in the bank. And now you've got people who are uh, out whatever money they spent thinking they'd be paid back by the AAF, these stadium operators, and you've got unpaid hotel bills. You've got employees who had, who had committed to this for multiple years. You've got litigation. This is going to be a gigantic mess. It already is. But as time goes by, we're going to see more and more cases come up. We're going to hear more comments like those from Daryl Johnston. And uh, there's no good way out of this. And, and let that be a lesson to anybody who wants to start a sports league. Don't say that you've got enough money in the bank to stage multiple seasons if you don't. Because there will be consequences if it goes under and the people you're working with and the people you're doing business with were led to believe that you had more money than you did. Yeah, not a good look. I mean, really, a low ball, a low ball look for the AAF. I mean, just the way they've handled this whole thing. I mean, it, it's a disaster. I don't know what else to say. They misled everybody. Uh, they really did. And it was horrible organi organi organization as far as, you know, just uh, preparing for year one, let alone two years or whatever it may be. I mean, you have you ever watched Billy Madison, the movie, you know, with Adam Sandler? You yes. ever watch that? You know, you know, the thing about business ethics is uh, the, the thing about business ethic is, ah, I mean, that's what they They just pulled a low ball move. It's a bull crap. <laughs> that's bull crap. What they did. I mean, they really they misled people like Daryl Moose Johnson, who's a really awesome individual. I know him pretty damn well. Loves football. He left a job in TV because he probably thought, OK, no, he still he still had he still had the job. In oh, TV. he did. That's right. OK, so but either way, he might have turned down other opportunities he might have had or dabbled in whatever else it may be and yeah he's had other avenues but that doesn't talk about all the other people who might have turned down certain things or left other jobs because they thought uh that the AAF was going to be a little bit better and more substantial than it is I think they made a calculated bargain that they if they hype it up enough the money will eventually come so act like the money's already there and you use that that vibe that this is legitimate that this is real to eventually position yourself to get the money you need to pay the bills. It's almost like a weird sort of pyramid scam and, and not and it, that's not an apples to apples comparison, but the idea that that you almost will it into existence by acting like we are legitimate, we are first class, right. we are funded, we are going to be uh something that that is taken seriously. And and I look at it from my perspective, Chris, if, if I had known that this was just fly-by-night and maybe they will or won't be able to finish a season, I would have been far less interested. I'd have been far less inclined to talk about it. I'd have been far less inclined to invite people from the AAF onto the show. We've had Steve Spurrier. We had Trent Richardson. We had Tom Dunda. We had Charlie Ebersol. I mean, if, if I think this is something that's going to potentially implode, I want to keep my distance from it. I don't want to embrace it. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, – Maybe people were misled. Maybe a lot of people were misled, and maybe we were among the ones who were misled because we regarded this thing as something that was going to be real and legitimate, and it clearly wasn't. Yeah, no, I, I, they were, certainly. Hey, listen, my brother, I think he was misled. He went and played for the Atlanta Legends. It was a disaster down there, but, you know, I, I, again, I think he went there thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be something substantial. I'm going to further my career, maybe get a chance at the NFL, whatever it may be, and it was an absolute crap show, and, uh, you know, really, he's probably worse off now than he was before playing in the damn league. Meanwhile, there have been roughly 50 players from the AAF who have landed in the NFL, which which further proves that 
they really didn't need back of the roster NFL players to survive because they had they 50 had of some, them. Right. And it didn't matter. It did not matter. And we'll see if the XFL will be any different. The bottom line, though, is the XFL will be funded going in because Vince McMahon has dumped hundreds of millions into the project of resurrecting the XFL and making it the viable alternate professional football league. All right. A couple of things related to the Russell Wilson situation. We've talked about it from a bunch of different angles. But first, Chris, here's one that I think is very important as it relates to the hard bargain that Russell Wilson is currently driving with the Seahawks. His agent, Mark Rogers, is a baseball agent, and he has one NFL client. That client is Russell Wilson. And one of the things I've learned about the NFL over the years, when you have agents who have a bunch of clients, the powerful agents out there, they have to always be worried about how positions they take for one client could affect other clients. And there's a, there's a dance there. There's, there's a, a, a limit to how aggressive you can be, to how big of a pain in the ass you can be if you've got other clients. And there have been agents in the past that they have that reputation for being so over the top in their demands that the teams shy away from drafting other clients of that agent. Mark Rogers doesn't have to worry about any of that. He can drive the most aggressive, zealous bargain on behalf of Russell Wilson without ever thinking, how is this going to affect my NFL practice at large? Because he doesn't have one. And that makes this an even more compelling situation than it already was. And it's already compelling when you've got Russell Wilson, the ultimate team first guy, trying to get you know the most money anyone's ever gotten with a term that no one's ever gotten, a percentage of the salary cap. But you throw in an agent who doesn't have to worry about how it's going to potentially screw up his practice. This is a very volatile situation for the Seahawks. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely an interesting angle that you bring up because, yes, part of that, you know, brokering deals in the NFL is certainly, yes, keeping those, you know, business relationships open between, you know, agents and an organization. And the agents basically hold all the power because or a lot of power and a lot of times because they have inventory of players. But at the same time, yes, like you're saying, they don't want to piss teams off or do other things back. They're going to hurt them. This allows Russell Wilson and, and his camp to just be ultra aggressive and really just be self-centered about what's best for Russell Wilson and what Russell wants to do and not have to worry about anything else. And that's got to scare Seattle a little bit too. I mean, they, yeah, they, they don't have any much, they don't have much leverage in the, the situation with, with the agent himself. They realize that they're basically dealing with like a lone kamikaze type guy here who uh, has the ability to to make some aggressive moves. And uh, I, this is really amazing, some of these developments. I'm, I mean, of course, Peter King talking about it. I know we talked about it a little last week. Jack Del Rio, all those things. Uh, pretty fascinating. We don't see franchise top five quarterbacks in football, no question about it, in these type of situations very often. And, you know, at a time when there's been so much talk about Antonio Brown showing players how much power they have, Russell Wilson is doing it in a very different way. He's not using scorched earth tactics on social media. He's not making a big deal about it publicly. And I think he's still going to have a hard time reconciling his go Hawks demeanor with this, this bargain he's trying to drive behind the scenes. And if they do end all discussions and he goes forward with a vow not to sign a long-term contract he's going to have to talk about it at some point but you know the bottom line is players are realizing there is a way 
to push leverage under the current CBA in a way that can allow you to get what you want. And if he wants out of Seattle, he'll get out eventually. The question is, is it this year? Is it next year? Is it the year after? Is it 2022 when they have to pay him more than $52 million to keep him around? All right, I have one more specific wrinkle that relates to this that I want to talk about, Chris. And we touched on how the Seahawks are afraid, how they're scared, how they're fearful about where this can go. I think back to Eli Manning's most recent contract. When he was coming up on a new deal and he had the franchise tag looming, based upon where his cap number was, what his franchise tag number would have been, it would have been very simple for him to make a demand based upon the franchise tag value that would have made him the highest paid quarterback in NFL history because the market hadn't been moving. At the time, it had petered out at $22 million for several years as the top of the market. Eli Manning was in position where he could easily ask for more than that under what he was going to make under the tag. And that's the way the tag works. If you're going to use it, you have to be ready to pay the amounts that would be required year one and year two. We saw that last week with the Cowboys and Demarcus Lawrence. They figured out the right structure. It's easy to do. While those negotiations were happening, somebody from the Giants leaked to the media that Eli Manning is demanding to be the highest paid player in NFL history. And people lost their minds. How is Eli Manning the best player in NFL history? How can he, how can he expect that? Well, he can because that's what he's looking at under the franchise tag over the next few years. But because the Giants did that, it really did help beat back Eli's expectations, and he took less than what the franchise tag formula would have given him. And I say all that because we aren't hearing anything from the Seahawks. We're hearing no push. There is nothing. There is nothing being leaked that would suggest that Russell wants $35 million a year or he wants $40 million a year or he's making some demand that is grossly over the top. Nothing at all, which tells me they are taking this seriously and they know one false move and Mark Rogers is going to say, hey, guys, we're done. We know what you did. We didn't leak that he wants X million a year. So you must have done it. So we're done here. And we'll see you in the franchise tag. And maybe we'll see you out of Seattle at some point down the road. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Seattle, I would think, is taking this very seriously. But Russell Wilson's really doing all their work for them. I mean, he's the one. He's letting it be known. I mean, here again, we're hearing reports. It's out of his camp that it's okay. Yeah, today's the deadline. That's it. You know, and I'm not doing anything or this is over. So he, they don't have to do much. They're able to sit back and, you know, try to figure out what they want to do business-wise. But Russell Wilson, whether it's rumors about wanting to be traded to New York or L.A. or Sierra, you know, wanting to get to a big big market, uh, you know, or what, what else? I'm missing something else. But either way, I think it all comes down to uh, Russell Wilson's making, making it be known that he wants to be the highest paid quarterback in the history of football and that this is the deadline. And when you hear little things like this, yeah, I don't think Seattle has to do a whole lot right now. They can kind of just let this play out and see where the, the public perception takes it all. Well, and if they slam the door on him and don't pay him, and then it goes forward with Russell Wilson having that mindset, I'm never signing another long-term contract with Seattle. I mean, let, let's play this out, Chris. If today comes and goes and there's no contract and he's meeting with the media this week in connection with the first week of the offseason practices and somebody says, Russell, is it true that now that this window is closed, you will never sign a long-term deal with the Seahawks ever again? What does he say? Well, does he say my agent's handling all that? Or does he say, yes, that's what, you know, is it, that's, that's what I wanted, that's what I said, and that's what it's going to be, and that's where we are? Yeah, I don't think he'll take that kind of public stance, but he might say, you know, again, I don't want to get into contract talks. You know, this is why I do 
this drew this deadline. I just want to worry about right now, 2019, my preparation for the football season. I don't want it to be a distraction. I think you're going to hear all those type of uh, answers. And as far as just the absolute deadline, as far as getting it done today or forget it forever, I don't think he'll ever admit to that. Now, the owner might, I mean, the, the agent might ask that behind the scenes, but I don't think you're going to hear Russell Wilson confirm those kind of demands to the media or the public in any way. Does he continue to say go Hawks at the end of every interview, press conference, et cetera? Because remember, he accidentally didn't say go, maybe it wasn't an accident. He didn't say go Hawks when we had him at the Super Bowl because we had him talking about the Olympics and how, you know, he'd want to be a sprinter and he'd want to race Usain Bolt and he got all caught up in that. And I think he forgot to say go Hawks. But uh, what, does it ring hollow now if he starts saying go Hawks, if we know this clock is ticking toward his eventual departure from the team? I don't. I mean, I don't think it runs hollow until he's out of there. You know, even if Russell Wilson doesn't get what he wants and he has to play, you know, this last year out for his contract, I think Russell Wilson's still going to try to kick butt and be the best quarterback in football and try to help this team, team win. But I think it's an interesting question by you. I'd like to like – I'd actually like somebody to look that up, anybody out there, like the, the, the recent public – Public appearances by Russell Wilson. Has he been saying go Hawks? Is it calculated? He is a very calculated individual to where I think you bring up a pretty good question there to where somebody who's great with the internet should check that out and see if he's been doing it over the last two months. Yeah, I know a thing or two about finding interviews on the internet. I'll see if I can find yeah, that. Yeah, try out. to get to the bottom and, and- of that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I got nothing else to do today. Well, you know, all I do is cut copy and paste, paste and snarky, snarky comments. Comment. Right. Yeah, you'll find asshole. it. Don't oh, worry. <laughs> am I allowed to call you an asshole? They can bleep you did. it, right? You this did, you live. asshole. You called me that. Yeah, Thank asshole. you. <laughs> All right. All right, bastard. Hey, great job today. We'll do this again tomorrow. Once you're more rested after you've recovered from your very difficult assignment in South Bend, where you were out of sorts because your button was unbuttoned. Did you feel weird with your button unbuttoned? I did. I did. I felt I did feel weird. And I feel I'm a little I'm a little tired today, as I usually bust on you for looking tired. I actually feel a little tired today, but I'll be okay. I'm just gonna keep fighting through would keep pushing forward NFL draft here we come you don't look tired you look baked oh, although thank that you. may be the same thing watch All out right. <laughs> this again tomorrow everybody have a great day see ya enjoy your Monday bye Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.